The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Lately, about uh, not-self. And in thinking about not-self, considering what all of the ideas that we have around not-self, I've bumped up into the fact that everything is related to everything else. And when you talk about it, uh, it can become quite confusing. It can become quite uh, tangled. So, so I'm going to give you a quote because this reminds me every time I get tangled in it. This is a, a quote from the Buddha, from the suttas. Tangled within, tangled without. People are tangled in tangles. And so I ask you, Gotama, who can untangle this tangle? A wise one of stable virtue, developing mind and wisdom, a prudent and ardent person, they can untangle this tangle. A wise one of stable virtue, developing mind and wisdom, a prudent and ardent person, they can untangle this tangle. Now, there are kind of two ways to think about this quote. One is, oh my God, I am not a wise and prudent person. (laughs) There is no way to untangle. But actually what it says is developing mind and wisdom. A prudent and ardent person can untangle this tangle. So I'm taking that as a kind of challenge and a reinsurance. This is untangleable. So in that spirit, it turns out that when you start talking about not-self, one of the phrases that shows up very often is uh, that all, all things are conditioned and all conditioned things are impermanent. And you know, we sort of glibly say this, all conditioned things are impermanent and we move on and we talk about how, how conditions determine the self. And, and it occurred to me that the whole concept of what is conditioned really isn't all that clear. What do we mean when we talk about conditions? What does it mean that this moment is conditioned? You know, we have, a, we have a habit of mind that assigns meaning to everything. So if this happens, it means that. If this happens, it means that. And if everything is changing all the time, does that mean meanings are changing all the time? Meanings are changing. I'm changing. You're changing. This moment is changing. So I've been thinking about what does it mean. So we're going to travel along with the idea of not-self, but we're really not going to put very much emphasis on that this morning. What we're really going to talk about is mindfulness of conditions. Mindfulness of conditions. So, so when I got here this morning, there was a package with my name on it. And inside the package was a gift from someone I don't know. And I opened it, and I was so touched. I was touched. What does it mean to be touched? What happened is I opened this gift from someone I don't know, and there was the pleasure of receiving a gift, There was the surprise of receiving a gift. There was 
the gift itself, which is quite beautiful. It's handmade. But what really touched me, what I was really aware of, was the kindness of a gift from someone I didn't know. And that kindness caused me to settle into my body. And what I felt, I I, I don't know quite how to describe this to you, so I'm just going to create an image because I don't want my words to send you off into thinking about what those words mean for you. So I'm just going to tell you that if you can imagine hugging someone, there's an embracing that happens and the front part of my body around my arms, in my hands, all got a little tingly. I wasn't actually embracing anyone, but that body, bodily sense of embrasure was there. It was just, oh, yeah, you know, you want to say thank you. And that condition conditioned me the first thing when I got here this morning. And so the first person I saw I wanted to embrace just because that condition was in me. Ah, So the gift from this person is a gift to me and to you because that gift conditioned how I am in this moment with you. It got me out of my head and into my body. Conditions are what arise from all of the things that we don't actually control and understand. Some of them arise out of history. They arise out of intentions. Conditions arrive out of the the environment. If we were all sitting here and we were all cold, we would be a little more tense than if we were It was uh, July and there was no air conditioning and it was hot and we were sweaty and sticky. And those conditions, those environmental conditions, affect our experience in this moment. The experience that we have, the experience that each of you is having now, is not the same experience I'm having because the conditions of now for you are unique to you. They are your conditions. But you don't own these conditions. You don't own these conditions. These conditions are not who you are. They are merely conditions, and they pass. They arise, they pass. These are the qualities of the moment the qualities of our intentions, the qualities of our appearance, the quality of our presence, changes all the time, from moment to moment. Now we can see this as either frightening, liberating, confusing, and depending on how we react to the word ambiguity, We can want to run away, or we can say, give me more. Conditions not only determine what our experience is, but it also determines how we give meaning to what happens in our lives 
to our lives, to the moment, to our friends, to our families. In an ideal world, we would be wise and prudent and ardent and all of those things that help us untangle all of this. And we all have ideas about what ideal is. But really, these are all just ideas. They are not real. And they change. And when we become very attached to what I'm going to look at, what, I'm per- what, I, what I will be when I'm perfect, physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, then we are tangled. Then we are tangled because we are creating an image that has nothing to do with the conditions of this moment. And we suffer. Now we can set up a big plan and say, okay, here's my plan. Here's how I'm going to become a better person. And we're spending all of our lives worrying about the delusion of our ideal. When, as it turns out, if I could be as content as I was in that exact moment when I opened that present, it would be a pretty nice life. It would be very pleasant. Now, it would become dull. It would become maybe not so pleasant if it never changed. The texture of our lives, the texture of our lives is related to how conditions change. Who we meet, how we feel, how we think, what thoughts arise. And that texture is the experience. It's how we touch the world. All experience is determined by the conditions, our intentions, our actions. We touch. Your itch may be my twitch because I'm thinking something different than you are. And being in touch with what these conditions are help us not to form ideas about how it should be, could be, might be, gets us out of the trap of wanting it to be different. It is the wanting it to be different than it is that makes the experience jarring, uncomfortable, leads to suffering the wanting it to be different than it is. I want more of it. The more I thought about the moment of opening that gift, the more I realized it was becoming something else. It was becoming a, a, a symbol of something. And I had removed it from my immediate experience because it wasn't my immediate experience. It was thinking about it. It was behind me already. So... What we think about as pleasurable or unpleasurable even changes. You know, sometimes we like it cool, sometimes we like it warm, sometimes uh, we like music. You know, I was thinking today, on the way down, I was listening to a uh, uh, a hot jazz uh, saxophone solo. Now, under certain conditions that can be really energizing and you've got a lot happening and you want a lot of energy and it's just right and your body is bouncing and you're ready to go. 
And that at other times when you're feeling very still, it is disharmonious. It doesn't fit with where you are. It just feels noisy. This is a function of the conditions which we don't control and we don't manage. And they are not ours. They are not ours, these conditions. They show up around us, sort of, you know, experience is really a a meaning-making exercise around ourselves. This is me. This is who I am in this moment. We We get very tangled up in that. Let me just catch up with myself here. So, one piece of conditions has to do with attitude. What is our attitude? How do we arrive in this moment from our intention and what is, uh, what's the mood we're in? What's my mind state this morning? Did I wake up cranky? Did I wake up, did I have a bad dream and the first thing I want to do is poke somebody? Have I had my morning coffee so that I'm energetic enough because I drink coffee every morning? What, what are the conditions and the attitude that I'm meeting this moment with? Am I curious? Am I feeling dull? Am I feeling tired, torporous? Am I scared? That condition is going to affect my experience. It is the reason each of you has a different experience of right now than I do. And none of us owns the conditions of our lives. They arise and they pass away. And they actually arise and pass away very quickly. It's just that, you know, we have, we have kind of a, a running movie of our lives It's really a series of photographs, but we think that it's just a continuing running reel. You know, if you've you've ever asked yourself, um, well, so one of the things that that is uh, considered a good thing in our society is that we can multitask. We can do multiple things at once. We live in a very complex society, and the ability to do multiple things is very important. And I used to be very proud of my ability to multitask. And then once I started meditating, I realized that I wasn't doing things simultaneously. I was just fast switching. And that in between each of those things I was aware of was something that there was a null space that wasn't happening. You know, when you follow your breath, you go in and out. And in between the in-breath and the out-breath is this space where the breath is not moving. There's kind of a an in-between space? What's happening then? We get used to thinking of movement as a continuous thing. So when I was a little girl, one of the things that uh, I did was I wanted to be the first one up every morning. And uh, one reason for that might be fear of missing out. That's usually the convincing, the, the conventional idea about why somebody 
why somebody would say, I'm somebody who always gets up first. So I thought about that, and it turns out there were lots of reasons for getting up first. I came from a very large family, and it got very uh, caffeinous very quickly, and so it was quieter in the morning. (laughs) I could hear myself to think. And at some point, there was a lot of, uh, there was a crisis in my family, and I remember asking, uh, why was my mother having surgery? And I was told, She had a malignancy. I had no idea what a malignancy was, so I went to the dictionary and looked up what's a malignancy. And uh, after looking it up, I really didn't know any more than I did before because the definition in the dictionary was not very explicit, for one thing. I could see it was a bad thing, but it could have been poisoning. And so I determined that people were not telling me things that they were keeping things from me. And I began getting up early because I was convinced that if I could watch it, then I would know what was happening and nobody would be hiding things from me. And it became a sense of, of safety and security for me. It turned out that it morphed from, I was a person who got up early so that I would not miss out on anything, to I was a person who got up early because it was safer. And, and I wasn't conscious of all of that. It followed me deep into my adult life that I had to be the first one up. But I was unaware that I was carrying this condition of feeling unsafe, and that's why I got up early. And it was only through a lot of mindfulness and noting what was coming up for me that I was able to figure that out. It wasn't a mental process so much as it was, oh, Oh, it's about safety. I get it now. And this was a condition that I was carrying with me. A condition of not feeling safe. So if I arrive in this room this morning not feeling safe, I'm likely to be tentative, suspicious, maybe a little anxious, a good thing to know when that's happening. And sometimes it happens. I was on a a Zoom call yesterday with a a group of people. And just before before getting on the call, there was something that had really hurt me, and I was feeling very hurt. And I got on the call, and there we were all sitting, you know, in the, in, on a Zoom conference call. Everybody who's on the call, their pictures will be up, and we all mute our microphones so that we don't have a lot of chatter, but you watch people's faces and expressions. And, and it occurred to me that I was feeling, because I had arrived with this pain, that that I was uh, pretty tentative. I was Because you see your picture there, too. Yeah, the, and so you see the expressions on people's face, and I realized each of these people in this conversation is having a totally different experience. It was so obvious. We were having a different experience. And then someone was telling a story about something for her, and I became very engrossed in her story, and I noticed I was leaning forward. It's nice to have a mirror sometimes. I noticed I was leaning forward, and... As I became involved in her story, I could feel myself soften, soften. And as I softened, I watched 
my whole attitude toward that conversation shift. And while I had arrived with this feeling of hurt and insecurity, it had changed into something like curiosity and engagement. I did not change. The conditions changed. And I changed along with them. The, my experience changed along with them, the conditions as they changed. So the outcome was I was more engaged in the conversation, which we would say is good. We could say that when I arrived, my intention to be engaged was lacking. We could give all kinds of meaning to what happened. But what really happened was conditions changed and who I was changed along with them. That the process of naming, I'm the person who, is a changeable condition. Does this make sense to you? Now, what's also true is my willingness to show up, which is a developed, cultivated habit, also was a condition that I brought to this conversation. So even though the immediate condition of, I'm not sure I want to be in this conversation, was also there. There was a long-standing habit of, okay, I'm going to show up, I'm going to show up, And that was also a condition. So it isn't that we have no influence on conditions. It's just that we don't control them and that they change all the time. We can get very subtle when we talk about conditions or we could be gross about conditions. So the the gross effect of uh, I was hurt when I came into the conversation is a gross effect. The subtle effect of stilling my mind and showing up affected the outcome of that experience more, even though it was more subtle. Each of us has uh, a choice in the moment. We're not controlled by the conditions. So if we walk into some situation, we may have uh, a response to what happens based on our history, our intentions, our biases. These things all show up. They're all conditions for the moment. But we have a certain amount of choice of, I'm going to go this direction or that direction. So... So if we are uh, engaged in an argument with someone, we can feel the energy of the argument. We can feel the story about how I am justified. We can notice what our next mental step is going to be. We're planning our our surprise uh, attack against their argument. We can notice the contraction around wanting to win. We can decide how important that is. 
Oh, it's important. Oh, yes, it's important. Relax. Yes, it's important. We can watch that tension back and forth. We can watch the battle between our intentions and the energy of our bodies, our sense of injustice. How strong is it? And we can choose and have to make the choice again three seconds later. And we may, we may say, no, this is important. I need to make this point because I need to make this point. Who knows? What I'm saying is there's no right way. There is no better person. There is only the person who is experiencing this set of conditions and reacting to this set of conditions. And that person is a result of these conditions. And what I know about myself in this moment is all I know about myself. Everything else is dependent on the conditions from before. If we, if we think about it, it's really impossible to be kind and cruel at the same time, even if you're fast switching, because the conditions are so different. In a moment of kindness, there is an openness, there is a giving, there is an outward movement, and in a, move, in a moment of cruelty, there is a contraction, there is a darkness, and switching back and forth between them in any given instant is a switching back and forth. And not only that, in a moment of kindness, if we are aware of the desire, the intention to be kind, what constitutes that kindness, we are not wrapped up into the story about why kindness is appropriate because the mind is paying attention to the conditions. In mindfulness, we have to know where our attention is. We very often get confused or, you know, popular, popular definition of mindfulness is where is your attention? And definitely where you look is going to affect your conditions. And also, a part of mindfulness is that you know where your attention is. So when we're driving, we drive along, and it's become, for most adults, a pretty automatic action. You know, I don't think about everything I do when I'm driving. I just drive. 
know, it's, I know how to steer. I don't think about where my hands are on the wheel anymore. And I know roughly, I, I feel the accelerator with my foot. And, and, you know, I don't think a whole lot about it. I have created the conditions for driving as a habit. This is dangerous, of course. And as I age, since I've been at this for a lot of years, one of the things I notice is that my response time is not as fast as it used to be. But my habits of automatic driving haven't changed. So I actually have to pay more attention. Now, whether it's mindful driving is dependent on whether I know I'm paying attention. What do I mean by that? Am I aware that I'm aware? That step of being aware of what you're aware of gets you out of just noticing something. An aspect of experience is that we're conscious of the experience. Otherwise, we're not having it. We're conscious of the experience. We feel, touch, taste, hear, smell, think, that's a conscious, a conscious act. When we're mindful, we know that's happening. When we're mindful, we're aware of what we're, where our attention is. And that act of being aware of where our attention is becomes a different condition for what, however we arose however we arrive to the moment. Mindfulness is also a condition. And it's a condition that kind of pushes away the story. So let me see if I can uh, give you an example of what this might be like. So the other day, uh, I was driving, as a matter of fact, and I had cramps in my feet. So... You know, cramps in your feet can be quite painful, and there is a very strong desire to, you know, stamp your foot, get rid of that cramp, move it around, you're driving, maybe that's not such a good idea. And I, re- I was thinking about, okay, this is just a pain. A pain is an indication that something is wrong. This was not a life-threatening pain, it was just a cramp. Can I just be here with this pain? and not move my foot around and stomp it. And How bad is the pain? How important is the pain? Can I just be here with a cramp in my foot? Do I need to quickly pull over the side of the road, do something about that? How distracting is the pain in my foot? It's just a pain. It's just an indicator that I should pay attention to something. This is what the body does. This is pain in the body. Some pains are excruciating. Some pains give us information we wish we didn't have. It's a very real thing. But can I be present for something that is uncomfortable, not life-threatening in any way, and just allow that discomfort? What is it like to just allow something that's so uncomfortable. If I don't quit holding my foot this way, I'm going to get a cramp in it. I'm I'm watching my foot recreating this moment. It's just a pain. It's just a discomfort. Some discomforts are small. Some discomforts are large. 
The reason I mention this is that a discomfort doesn't have to be something that you do something about. It doesn't mean something. So if I can train myself to be okay with something that is unpleasant, uncomfortable, I'm going to be less reactive when that condition arises. I can choose whether I need to, to do something about this or not. It's not an automatic, this is uncomfortable, this is unpleasant, I don't like it, I don't want it, I need to push it away. This movement through conditions leads to suffering or not. So if we pay attention to the conditions and, and notice them, we have more choice. And the choices we make set up the conditions for the next moment. The choices we make set up the conditions for the next moment. So one of the things I'm doing is reading a book by um, Andrew Olinsky on non-self. And I'm going to read you one of his quotes here. Life is a series of mind moments, each one a new creation. Every moment we inherit something from our past, transform it in our present experience, and thereby seed the consequences that will unfold in our future. Let me read that again. Life is a series of mind moments, each one a new creation. Every moment we inherit something from our past, transform it in our present experience, and thereby seed the consequences that will unfold in our future. Every moment. It's not, not over the lifetime there are you know, he did a calculation in the book, this book where he came up with, you know, some fixed number billion of life moments that we have in an ordinary life. <clears throat> but the realization that each moment sets up the next moment makes us realize how important each moment is. Maybe not consequential in the overall scheme of life, but certainly consequential in how I meet this moment and how I am reacting in this moment and whether I have developed a sense of life is okay. Life is, ah. The goal in understanding the role of conditions and how we experience life leads to a sense of resilience and balance that we call equanimity. Oh, this is what's happening. And how we react in that moment, if we have a sense of, oh, I see this. Here it is. This is how it really is. Despite what I may wish, this is how things are. It's like this. There is a relaxing into that moment. 
irrespective of the conditions. And that act of relaxing into that moment allows us to show up in the next moment without anxiety, anger. Because we have a sense of this is how it is now. This is how it is now. Oh. And I'm alive in this moment. I'm here in this moment. You know, we, we carry these, these stories around with us about who we are and how we are. And it's truly important to realize they are just stories. We have patterns of behavior, patterns that we sort of embrace but they aren't who you are. It's not who I am. The experience of this is how it is right now is actually a very intimate experience. You're not bringing anything into this moment except here. You're not taking anything away, just here, now. I just, I just had a thought to say thank you for sharing this intimate experience with me. <laughs> I'm going to read a, a poem to you. Uh, this poem is by Jane Hirschfield, and it's called My Proteins. And the point of this poem is that we are not even our bodies. We are not our bodies. They don't belong to us. They're not us. It's shocking how little of our bodies we have any control over. <clears throat> so this takes us, she's, she's not a scientist, but she starts from a scientific principle. So let's do this. My proteins, they have discovered, they say, the protein of itch. Natriuretic polypeptide B. And that it travels in its own distinct pathway inside my spine as do pain, pleasure, and heat. A body, it seems, is a highway, a cloverleaf crossing, well-built, well-traversed, some of me going north, some going south. Ninety percent of my cells, they have discovered, are not my own person. They are other beings inside me, as 96% of my life is not my life. Yet I, they say, am they, my bacteria and yeasts, my father and mother, grandparents, lovers, my drivers talking on cell phones, my subways and bridges, my thieves, my police, who chase myself day and night. My proteins, apparently also me, fold the shirts. 
I find in this crowded metropolis a quiet corner where I build of not-me Lego blocks a bench, pigeons, a sandwich of rye bread, mustard, and cheese. It is me and is not that hunger that makes the sandwich good. It is not me then is the sandwich, a mystery neither of us can fold, unfold, or consume. Okay, let me read it again. They have discovered, they say, the protein of itch, natriuretic polypeptide B, and that it travels in its own distinct pathway inside my spine, as do pain, pleasure, and heat. A body, it seems, is a highway, a cloverleaf crossing, well-built, well-traversed, some of me going north, some going south. Ninety percent of my cells, they have discovered, are not my own person. They are other beings inside me, as 96% of my life is not my life. Yet I, they say, am they, my bacteria and yeast, my mother and father, grandparents, lovers, my drivers talking on cell phones, my subways and bridges, my thieves, my police who chase myself night and day. My proteins, apparently also me, fold the shirts. I find in this crowded metropolis a quiet corner where I build of not-me Lego blocks, a bench, pigeons, a sandwich of rye bread, mustard, and cheese. It is me and is not the hunger that makes the sandwich good. It is not me, then is, the sandwich. A mystery neither of us can fold, unfold, or consume. She asks in this poem, what is my body? If the body is made up of all this bacteria and proteins and things that you know really don't feel much like a self, how is all of my experience really about me? What is it? What is hunger? What is love? What are all the conditions of our experience telling us? And can we arrive in this moment without a preconceived meaning that limits our experience, our freedom, and our equanimity. So I invite you to consider what are the conditions of your life, the conditions of each moment of your day. You can't spend all your time thinking about conditions, but it is useful to consider What are the conditions that I'm meeting this moment with? How do they arise? What is their effect? What is my relationship to the conditions of my life? How does what I hold in my attention affect what arises in the next moment? How does my willingness to be present to know where my attention is, influence the conditions of my life.
May you find the conditions of your life rewarding and peacemaking. May you all know equanimity. Thank you. So I went on maybe a bit longer than I intended. Are there any any comments, any observations about conditions that come up for you? Yes. Um, I, I loved how you started it off with the story about the little gift that was here and um, and especially how um, like the feeling that felt like hugging someone and how that was passed on to the next person whoever the first person you saw was and um, I, it just gave me a, a good little inkling of how little acts of kindness can spread and who knows what that person brought forth and, and how many other people it could spread through so that was really nice and I also wanted to thank you for talking more about conditions and less about no self because the conditions are a much easier way for me to relate to it and possibly um, better understand the no self. Yeah, yeah, I think we, we slip over some of these words um, like we all know what they mean. And, and language especially is a place where the meaning I carry is different than the meaning you carry for, for any given word. Uh, you know, we think, we think we share that. But the language is a function of our experience and all the conditions of our lives that form what we think we mean when we speak some word. My, I remember my grandson learning language and forming concepts. And he would get up in the morning and he'd run around and he'd name everything. Name, 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 name. And how confused he was by the difference between a bracelet and a watch. Because the concept for him was the thing on the on the wrist is a bracelet. So then when I said, oh no, that's a watch. A watch? No, it's a bracelet. Because a thing on the wrist was the meaning he was giving to the word. And of course we could confuse it by saying, you know, when is a watch a bracelet and back and forth and you know, when's it a telephone? <laughs> you know. Words. Thank you for your talk this morning. And um, I, I was, I was really touched again by the, your opening story. Um, and then later, when you sort of in the moment identified the sense of intimacy, mm-hmm. um, it really it it reminded me how the, the gift of the gift that comes of being as present as possible, and then being as present as possible in connection with another person. Mm-hmm. And when that, when that authentic showing up happens and you realize that between two people, the resonance 
the, the, the appreciation that is unleashed quickly amps up into this feeling of, of love, and it just feels like such a naturally good experience. Yes. And so I want to I want to thank you for reminding thank you me for of that. that. Yeah. 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 Unplanned unplanned moments. Uh, can be immensely rich. Thank you. Anything else? Yes. Um, in line with I think the sentiment here is is beautiful contemplations for the beginning of the year. Um, A lot of questions to carry forward, and I share in some of the things that you guys said. Um, Felt very intimate today and heartfelt. Um, One of the things that popped out to me is as you were talking about the argument with someone is um, not just the awareness of my own conditions, but the conditions that someone else is bringing that may have nothing to do with me that we tend to think have to do with us. (laughs) So my mind kind of went off in that direction of not just, you know, in those moments of certainly contention, but even positive moments, knowing that it's not all about us and it's about the conditions the other person brings in addition to yourself. So I kind of, that's additional things to contemplate from this. But thank you very much. Amen. That's a great, great observation. Really, really important. Uh, The reaction we get from someone may have absolutely nothing to do with what we brought into the room. (laughs) Okay. So, stop trying to be better than you are. Just show up. Thank you. Bye-bye.